professional identity is is not something static. It's something that evolves. It's a living, breathing uh, presence in the marketplace that evolves as the marketplace changes. And as we all know, the marketplace is changing. Uh, we're about to meet a man who is the living embodiment of a real evolving uh, professional identity. Uh, I'm joined today by Stuart Copeland of Stonac. Uh, Stuart supports organizations with their business changes, particularly uh, those changes in the automotive sector, which if you've tried to buy a car recently, uh, you're probably very aware uh, is changing to a whole new way of working. Stuart, can you tell us a bit more about your world? Yeah, it's a fascinating world of business change, really, uh, especially in the automotive sector where everything's changing. Uh, I wrote an article a couple of years ago that, uh, that, that uh, entitled 125 Years Change in 125 Months and uh, recently republished it, having crossed out 125 months and put 12 months. It really is that, uh, that intense. Well, so what's the typical issues in automotive these days? The, the key issue is the scale and, and probably the speed of the change. Um, manufacturing, distribution, retail and after sales are all being turned upside down by electrification and digitalization of the car, the sales process and the ownership process. Uh, on top of that, electrification has lured in a number lured in a number of new entrants uh, that don't have the legacy of engine plants, established distribution networks, and, uh, well, and not being online, for example. Uh, they, they tend to be really well funded and they're light on their feet and they're posing a real challenge to the um, traditional manufacturers. On top of that, the pandemic has caused a general move online for customers uh, and the automotive sector has had to respond. Uh, and to be fair, the, the automotive sector is actually coming from a from a way back. All right. Um, as a consumer, would I see that or how would I see that? Uh, you'll see that there are quite a few offers now that where uh, they, the, the manufacturers say that you can buy online. Actually, you, you, you can't buy online unless you're buying a Tesla, really. Um, so what you'll be doing is being able to book a car or you'll be able to book a test drive or you'll be able to book a visit into a dealership online but the transaction still happens in the, in the old fashioned way uh, as part of the franchise um, uh, process. Okay. Um, so how do you help them? Um, the, the, the changes in the automotive sector are massive. So therefore the business strategies are typically set by the manufacturers. So that could be globally or it could be across the region. Um, what happens locally uh, and by locally, I mean the national market, is that the, the, uh, the, they will devise their local operational strategies uh, and implement them. And it's in that sort of environment where insight and experience of having developed components of, of this change uh, can, be, can be really useful. Uh, yeah, I've developed a, or set up a number of programs, uh, but also uh, understand the multitude of pitfalls that uh, occur in these sorts of significant change programs. And what are the pitfalls? So, you know, if, if someone isn't turning to you or somebody like you, what kind of pitfalls are they likely to, to fall into? Uh, I think mostly it's around underestimating the extent of the change, the amount of planning that, that's required, the 
time and effort that's going to go into um, a project to to move from you know from one state to another. Um, can you can you give us an example of that? Sorry to interrupt, Joe. Can you give us yeah. an example of that? You know what what's a typical project? Uh, so, for example, if, if you were to move to um, direct sales, where you're, you've, you've gone from traditionally move, uh, selling your cars through a franchise dealer network, uh, those dealers become agents. So it's a different, uh, trans a different contractual arrangement. Um, that can take a year or 18 months to, to go from the first idea and having agreed the strategy where you want to get to and, and actually delivering the change so that it works for the customer. Right. So you were saying the one of the key mistakes that happens there can be one of underestimating the, yeah. the time, the efforts that it takes to get from A to B. Yeah. I think the, yeah, I think that or just on that point, there's a, um, uh, I think most people understand what the sort of, if you use the, the phrase target operating model looks like, but it's, it's really the, the uh, truly trying to understand how you get there. That, that's, that, that's the tricky bit. Um, the, the other key uh, issue is the fact that the cultural train change required from moving from the, the current environment and the current process and the current business to business environment into a business consumer uh, uh, environment means that there's a, a big cultural change to go through. Um, and I think the other thing, again, I might get criticised by people who are saying this, but I think uh, there's, I'm not sure that the automotive sector is brilliant at putting the customer truly at the center of the change. Mm. Let's go back to the cultural change for a moment. What, what would be an example of the, the culture change from the old world to the, to the new world? A good example is if, if, you're, if, you, if you have a distribution network who has um, a strong sales ethos, which means that they're doing most of the selling for you, uh, you um, and you move to a business to consumer environment where those sites become handover centers as opposed to sales centers, then that sales philosophy and the sales drive uh, needs to be performed at the, at the center in, in what's called the national sales company, mm. um, which means that you've got, you know, the, the national sales company's job has changed and it now changes to be the salesperson, if you like. Um, and that's something which they're not used to doing. And have they got those sales skills? Uh, they have sales skills, but not in the same way that the dealerships currently have those sales skills. Um, so, and it, it's things like also that you know, as you as you move into the online uh, environment, then it's it's how you um, drive uh, people through the sales funnel um, in the way that John Lewis does or Amazon does um, to ensure that you can actually get people into the into the the inverted commas basket um, and right. get them buying. Which, of course, ties into your other point about not putting the customer at the centre of the state. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. How did you um, How did you get into this? So we've talked about automotive. Let's talk about you a little bit. Um, yeah. How did you get into the automotive? Uh, I've always been interested in with anything with an engine. Well, more, more correctly, anything with an engine that, uh, that uh, is on the ground as opposed to in the air. Um, and actually aimed at the sector from, from uni. Uh, I think from there... Um, uh, the yeah the interest in in the business actually kicked in and therefore you know i think you know the the product i think in most people's experience that the product is is of interest but the business is is the most interesting bit so that that sort of grew um the, the other angle was having been an operational manager moved much more towards uh, 
roles where it was about improvement, um, which ultimately led to um, setting up our business in 2000, um, where that's, you know, that's what we do. Mm. So you've been self-employed or you have been working for yourself since 2000? That's right, yeah. What was that, if you can still remember, what was the change like from being an operations manager in a larger company to uh, to being responsible for your own? I think the, so in terms of the business, uh, because I'd moved into the more sort of business improvement line, it meant the actual work was, was similar and it was a different way of getting paid. Um, but the, um, you know, when you're having to pay your mortgage, um, and you're waiting for an invoice to be paid, so I guess uh, I think it can be quite interesting. Um, but I think, I mean, obviously this is with the benefit of hindsight. But I think the, the key benefit of working in this sort of way is that uh, is you get a huge amount of freedom over your life, provided mm-hmm. you can afford it, which is always the caveat. Yeah, and how do you plan that? Um, that's uh, uh, a relentless keep in touch method. Um, a lot of the uh, business that we've had over the years has very much been referral or repeat business um, but unless you're staying in touch with people then they won't remember to refer you or they won't remember to repeat you so um, it's you know, we've, we've, we've got a good strong network of you know, senior managers across the, not just the automotive sector but other sectors as well um, and uh, you know we, we try and do a great job um, and stay in touch we've also got collaborations with other small consultancies and a couple of bigger consultancies as well so uh, we're sort of continually you know um, uh, looking at opportunities through various different means right um have you or let me ask it differently what changes have you seen uh, over the 20-year period from the point of view of a freelancer the point of view of an independent professional are there things that are the same now as were 20 years ago but are there other things that are different um good question i haven't really thought about that um i think some, some of the legislation has been a bit more challenging so boring ir35 which but that's some that's a, something you just have to overcome um uh one of the things that hasn't changed is um there's still quite a strong um proportion of people who are freelancers who um sort of work more as contractors as opposed to consultants i I haven't really seen that change too much Mm. um uh i think one of the things again which hasn't really changed is that we you know as as a small the smaller businesses still offer very good value for money um compared to the bigger consultancies Mm. um but i guess sometimes it's harder to get small consultancies onto the procurement list of Big companies um, right. although if you've got your you know if, if your network is is correct and you're dealing with the right um, you know right parts of the organization then you know, the, they'll just make sure that, uh, that the purchasing process gets sorted out uh, right. because they, they you know they want to use the, the right organizations to, to in their business changes now you have a 20-year track record as a, an independent. What are you best known for today? I think uh, to date, uh, it's probably as a sort of program deliverer. Um, I think more recently, um, on top of that, um, because of the nature of the projects that I have delivered, obviously, um, 
uh, and done a number of things in the sort of what you might call future auto. So that's dynamic pricing, that's uh, functions on demand, digital services, um, agency, um, and and starting to, to you know, work in the area of mobility. Um, so that's firstly, it's very interesting. Um, and secondly, us, you know, starting to build up a bit of a track record in that area. And where does that business come from? Uh, I, I sense you've, to some extent, answered that already in terms of the uh, keeping in touch. But um, where, you know, I, I'm not asking you to divulge specific sources, but where do you get your business from? I think we've always been pretty good at, you know, staying in touch uh, with people. We're also building relationships with other small consultancies, other freelancers, um, and uh, just making sure that there are plenty of people out there who can become advocates or, you know, I win business and you, you know, we work with other people on projects and vice versa. Mm. Um, and the, I guess one of the key things is that you're working with people that you that you you, you trust um, and, and and share values with. Yeah. Trust seems to be quite a, a key word in oh yeah all of that. So we started by talking about professional identity. Um, well, what does that term professional identity mean to you? I think for me, it's it's more about uh, making sure that people understand what. I want to do as opposed to what I've done. Um, however, what I want to do needs to be based on sound um, experience and evidence and delivery and success. Um, yes. And that's really the, 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 the key thing, just make, making sure that uh, yeah, people understand where, you know, what I do now as opposed to what I used to do. Right. As one lady put it in an email recently to me, uh, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Stuart, thanks very much for joining me today. <clears throat> really, um, really appreciate talking to a man who has been doing, uh, at one level, doing the same thing for 20 years, but on the other, on the other hand, it's not the same thing. Uh, yeah. you, you've illustrated very, very clearly how professional identity is evolving, in your case, evolving from being uh, a, a program manager uh, to somebody who is more and more associated now with the future auto world. Yep. Uh, so very interesting to uh, see that evolution. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, pleasure. Good, good, to, good to see you, John. Cheers.